Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. If you would take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2 is where we'll be this morning. I do trust that y'all had a great Thanksgiving. I trust that you're looking forward to a great season together. All those that are here from out of town today, thank you for being a part of our service. And we hope that it's a blessing and an encouragement to you. Let me ask you a question as you find Philippians chapter number 2. Um, We've been studying the book of Philippians together over the last several months as we've been in this transition period as a church. And Philippians is the book on joy. And we were able to see over the last chapter that we've studied together that the joy of the Lord is available to all of us. So let me ask you this question as you find your place in Philippians chapter number two. How many of you this weekend, and be honest, how many of you this weekend bought a Christmas present? Anybody this weekend bought a Christmas present? Okay, I would say... Maybe 30% of you bought a Christmas present this weekend. How many of you, let me ask you this question. How many of you went out earlier than 7 a.m. shopping on Friday? Anybody in here? Yeah, my hand is up. You know why? Because I'm dumb. I shouldn't have done that. I was very tired all day Friday. But you know, we had a great time. Did I save any money? No, I probably spent money that I shouldn't have. But was it fun? Absolutely. It was a great time. Let me ask you this. How many of you, how many of you maybe before this weekend already finished your Christmas shopping? Like you're done. Somebody said this. So Cherie's done. Anybody else completely done? Dean, you're done. That's imp- Did Connie do all of that, Dean? Okay, good. That's good. Let's give Connie a hand. That's great. That's great. That's awesome. So I'm a last minute shopper, a 100% a last minute shopper. In fact, most of the time I will buy all of my gifts for everybody in my family the last week of Christmas. But I have brought a gift with me this morning, okay? It's a very big gift. Don't get too excited, there's nothing inside of it. Um, But this is a very big gift, all right? So let's just say, let's just say for example's purpose this morning, let's just say that on Christmas morning we got up and we went downstairs to our tree. By the way, isn't this tree beautiful? Let's give Kristen a hand for decorating this tree this week. Very beautiful, very beautiful. So let's just say, let's just say Christmas morning we wake up we go downstairs, we get ready, we drink, we get our coffee, all the kids are starting to wake up, and we get to the tree, and we give everybody their presents. So we, in my house, what we do is we nominate somebody to be Santa Claus, and that person is the person that goes and gives everybody their gifts. We don't have a free-for-all. So usually it's one of the kids, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's my wife, but usually it's one of the kids. And so we say, you know, go and, and be Santa Claus. So they'll go and they'll look on the tag and they'll say, to Susie from mom and dad, or to so-and-so from... Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom. Hopefully he's the rich uncle. And all yeah, these things are, are, are put on these tags, right? And they'll hand all the gifts out. So let's say for example's sake, we go to the tree, we hand out all the gifts, all the kids have all their gifts, all the adults have all their gifts, and we say, okay, it's time to open gifts. And they set their gift down, and they set it next to themselves, and then they just turn the te- television on. They don't open the gift, they just say, okay, we're going to watch The Grinch. So we're going to watch The Grinch, let's turn The Grinch on, and we're going to watch this thing together. And they start watching it together, and the present just sits there unwrapped. 
And then mom gets into the kitchen and she says, okay, all right, guys, it's time for breakfast. And so everybody comes into the kitchen for breakfast and they start to eat all of the wonderful food for breakfast and they enjoy breakfast. And then everybody gets a little bit tired after the big breakfast. So they take a nap and then you wake up later and the gift is still sitting next to you. It's unwrapped. And you're like, hey, you're going to open that gift. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to opening the gift. We'll get there. We'll get to opening the gift. And so mom and dad and all the people that are there for family gathering went to the kitchen to start to prepare the Christmas dinner. And whatever you do, they start to prepare all of those things for Christmas dinner. And they put it in the oven and they get all the desserts ready and they decorate the table and they get ready for this big Christmas feast, all while the gift stays unwrapped. And so you join us about five o'clock for Christmas feast. Everybody comes together. They start to eat the Christmas feast. And then you're getting excited because you're like, man, I've been anticipating my kids opening these gifts all day long and they're still unwrapped. So the Christmas feast comes to an end and you say, okay, you're ready to open your gift. And they say, yeah, we'll get to opening our gift. But before they do, they fall asleep on the couch, never to be woken again the rest of the day. So then the day after Christmas comes, and their gift goes unwrapped. And you say, hey, what in the world? Are you going to unwrap this gift? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Wouldn't it be silly of us to have a ton of gifts all around our tree, placed at our feet with our name on it, and never open the gift to be able to enjoy it for ourselves? Not only do you hurt the giver of the gift by not receiving it, you also hurt yourself by not being able to use what's been given to you. And when we come to Philippians chapter number two, here's what I believe. I believe Paul is trying to show us in Philippians chapter number two that joy is already ours for the taking. God has already given it to every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. In Philippians chapter two, we're going to prove today that it's already ours for the taking, but it is up to us to receive it. Joy already exists in your life, but it is up to you to receive the joy that God has already given you. You see, God does not intend for you to earn the gifts that he gives his people, because that would not be a loving, merciful, gracious God. If we had to earn the gifts, then why did Jesus have to do anything that Jesus did? No, what God says is here, I give to all men liberally. I give to all men the good grace of God. And on top of that, he says, I give you the joy of the Lord, which is what? Our strength. And so today, let's unpack these three ideas, these three scenarios I believe we can prove from Philippians chapter 2 that must be true in your life in order for you to receive the joy that God has promised you. Everybody say with me this morning, receive joy. Say it one more time. Receive joy. I think you guys have it on the slide up there. Receive joy in Philippians chapter number two. Let's read it together, the first 10 verses. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue of things in heaven and things in earth 
and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Three scenarios that must be true this morning if you're going to receive the joy that God has given you. Scenario number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Receive joy by making God happy. Receive joy by making God happy. Here's what it says in verse number two. It says, fulfill ye my joy. Now, Paul was writing this letter to the church at Philippi. Paul was in Rome. He was under arrest. He was chained to a prison guard. We saw in our last couple of messages how the church at Philippi began with Paul sharing the gospel in Philippi, and he shared it to some weird people. He shared it to a government worker. He shared it to a fashionista, a seller of purple, and he, and he shared it with a demon-possessed lady. And all three of these folks were all able to receive Christ, and then their families were able to receive Christ, and thus began the church at Philippi. But now, because of preaching Christ and because of the political climate of the day, Paul had been arrested and imprisoned because of preaching the gospel. And so Epaphroditus went from Philippi to Rome and gave Paul a gift, a monetary gift, to be able to help him in prison. And so as he received the monetary gift over, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, remember that, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul decided, I'm going to write this letter to the church at Philippi. So when we look at this verse this morning, when Paul writes, fulfill ye my joy, we can also say it's literally the Holy Spirit of God through Paul saying to the church, make me happy, fulfill ye my joy. But what does he say? Why? How? He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of, of one mind. Now, this is a recurring theme through the book of Philippians already. In chapter number one, in verse 27, we see the Bible says, stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, Paul was telling the church of Philippi that they are pleasing God, and the way that you please God is to be one. The word that we would use is to be unified. You please God by being of one mind, of one spirit, of one faith, of one baptism, you are unified in Christ. So like, why in the world would Paul have to address this church at Philippi? Remember, this is a church that Paul started. Paul, probably the greatest prophet, the greatest pastor, the most historic member of the, Old, of the New Testament past Jesus is the Apostle Paul. So if anybody knows how to start a church and do it the right way, it must be the Apostle Paul, right? And so this church that the Apostle Paul started, there's no way that they had issues amongst each other. There's no way that they had problems in their marriage. There's no way that they did not know how to raise their kids. Why? Because the greatest pastor of all time, Paul's their pastor. Well, no, that's actually not the case at all. We see all throughout chapter number one how the Bible says in verse 16 that some of you preach Christ of contention. But you know what? At least Christ was preached, and I rejoice, and I will rejoice. Some of you preach Christ of yourselves and not of God. He says that in chapter number one, but he says this. He says, look, but at least Christ is preached, and I rejoice, and I will rejoice. And then in verse 27, we already looked at it, he gives this last plea in chapter number one, verse 27, because this church had some problems in it, and the people of the church had some problems with their relationships, with their own families, and their own political climate, because it was messed up. And he says, please, church, stand fast in the faith, having the same love, being of one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, if we're going to receive the joy by making God happy, we must be a unified people. And here's what I believe as we unpack that verse. I believe he shows us unity 
in three areas of our life. He sees, number one, being of the same love. You need to be unified, have unity with God. Unity with God. See, the rest of this message only makes sense if you've been united with Jesus Christ yourself. I don't pretend to know everybody's story in the room this morning, and I don't pretend to know where you are on your spiritual journey, but I do believe this, that it's God's will for everybody that's ever breathed and lived on this earth to be unified with him. I believe that there has to be a moment in your life where you agree with God that, Lord, I'm a sinner. Because of my sin, I know that I'm separated from you. And since I'm separated from you because there is none righteous, no, not one, I know that I cannot get to God any other way except for through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us very, very clearly that God is the propitiation. He's the payment, the full payment for our sins because of the blood that he shed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the book of Romans tells us very clearly that if any of us will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, at that moment, that person will be saved. God tries to make it extremely easy for you to be unified with him. If you're saved in the room this morning, say yes. If you're thankful you're saved in the morning, say yes. If you couldn't answer yes to that question, then this morning, my friend, I'm telling you, you are not yet taking the first step of being of the same love, being unified with Jesus Christ. And my friend, this morning, I implore you, I challenge you, I encourage you to be honest with yourself, and we'll look at that in a minute, to be honest with yourself, the fact that you are a sinner, damned, that's the Bible word for it, damned for hell outside of a relationship with Jesus, and it is up to you to agree with him about your sin, to agree with him that you need him in your life, and to come to him in humble and assurance, knowing that he will save you. And if you've already made that decision, you know the glorious unification that God has for your life because of the love that he says in 1 John, I love you, or you love me because I first loved you. So in order for the rest of this message to make sense, you must be of the same love. But number two, he says this, and only of the same love, he also says to be of one accord. So I believe not only you need unity with God, you also need unity in your life. In your personal life, you need unity. Too often I meet people and they give me different personalities at different times in their life. Too often I've heard of people that were in ministry at one time because they were living one way in front of all of these folks, but yet at some point in time they broke what they were doing publicly and began to do something very different privately than what they were doing publicly. And there was no unity in their life. Although you would not know it by seeing them on the surface, there was, there was no unity in their life and eventually it came out. And this, this phrase that Paul uses, one accord, it's a musical term. It's to be harmonious with each other. Now look, can we illustrate this this morning? I'm not a piano player, okay? I'm not a piano player. I don't pretend to be a piano player. I'm actually very bad at it. I told somebody one time, they said, hey, you do music? I was like, yeah, I do music. I sing but if you told me how to play a B-flat and you put a gun to my head and said you're going to die if you don't play a B-flat, I would die. I have no clue about this right here. But you know who does? A lot of good people in this church. They know how to play this. Carrie does a beautiful job every week. I don't know. So can you be a little bit gracious with me for a minute as we try to illustrate this? Okay, good. All right. So we're being of one accord, right? So here's a chord. I'm going to play a C chord for you, okay? That sounds pretty beautiful, right? Is that C? Am I right? Okay, good. All right, C. Here we go. C chord, all right? We're going to go up. 
Did you notice how it started to sound a little bit weird? Okay, let's go back to that C chord. One accord, right? One accord. Meaning that in my life, everything I'm doing sounds the same. Everything I'm saying sounds the same. All the ways that I'm acting towards different people are the same. If I ask one person a question and they give me an answer, and another person asks me the same question, I give them the same answer. If my spouse says something that I need to work on, I listen to her very intently and I change that thing. Why? Because I want unity in my life and this is what God has given me to be unified. In my church relationships, when I am struggling with something, I want to be of one accord. I want to be unified. Why? So what do I do? If I have a problem with somebody, I go and talk to that person about it. If I have something to celebrate, I celebrate with people about it. If I have something to change, I'm in one accord together. But see, here's what happens too often. Because we don't have unity in our lives and because that we are broken people and because we want to present a way that we are when in behind closed doors we know we're not that way, this is what our life often looks like to a lost and dying world. Nobody wants to listen to that. Nobody loves being doing all of the chaos that comes with a disunified life. And when we're not unified in our life, when we're not unified in being the same person all the time, doing the same things, living in one accord, what happens is we become disharmonious instead of harmonious. The reason you have problems in your marriage is because your wife never really has been able to know you, the real you, because you've always put on a show for her. The reason that you're struggling to make friends is because you've never been able to be real with anybody in your life, maybe because you're hiding things that you know you need to get right. The reason that different people have different perspectives about you is because you are not living in one accord with your own self. And Paul is imploring these people, you must, number one, be united with God, but number two, just be united in your life. Just be authentically consistent so that you can be of one accord. But then he goes on, he says, not only of one accord, he then says this, then he says, of one mind. Now this is where I think he's getting more personable and interpersonal in his relationships. And so he's saying, look, you need unity in your relationships. In your relationships. Well, you might ask, what is he talking about with this mind? He tells us later what the mind that we're supposed to take on is. But the mind that I believe he is trying to get at here in the very short term is that in your relationships, although it's not always going to be perfect, although it's not always going to be right, although it's not always going to be easy, although it's not always going to make sense, God is telling us through the Apostle Paul that in our relationships, we ought to be people that are striving to be of one mind. Now notice I didn't say arriving at one mind but we're striving to be at one mind together. You see, unity in your relationships does not mean reconciliation. Unity in your relationships means that you have no regrets about how you attempted to reconcile that relationship. And oftentimes I feel like we are allowing the devil to steal our joy when we're disunified in a relationship because we are looking at the wrong metrics to be able to see is that relationship a healthy relationship. And all that the Bible is telling us here is he's saying you must be of one mind. Here's the mind. Here's the mind that we must be of. We must be of the mind that Jesus is in charge of all of this stuff. And so since Jesus is in charge of all of this stuff, all of the things that happen in my life personally, 
All the things that happen in my relationships personally, all the things that happen in my marriage and my family personally are, are always going to be a little bit less because Jesus is the one in charge of them. Now, see, my sin can mess it up, right? My sin can mess it up. But when I know that my foundation is Jesus, I can be of one mind. Why? Because I'm always running back to the same foundation. So I have a broken relationship that needs to be restored. I run to Jesus and the word of God and I find out how to do it. And I bring unity in my relationships because I want to be of one mind, striving together for the faith of the, faith of the gospel. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you're not unified with God, unified in your life, unified in your relationships, being of one accord, of one mind and one love, then today is your day to say, okay, Lord, let's evaluate where do we need to fix things? And how can I recalibrate my thinking to line up with what the word of God is telling me to do? And how can I stop allowing the devil to suck the joy out of my life because I'm not living in unity like you've asked me to? Number two, I see this. Not only you must receive joy by making God happy, but number two, I see this. You must receive joy by being honest about yourself. Look at verse number three says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, it's very awkward to get caught in a lie, isn't it? I'm not going to ask you who's been there because I don't want to know. But listen, uh, it's very awkward to get caught in a lie. Like, let me say for the parents in the room, you probably have experienced something like this. You just saw your kid do something they weren't supposed to do. You just saw your kid do something they weren't supposed to do. Maybe they ate a piece of candy. Maybe they played with a toy you told them not to play with. Maybe they ate a cookie out of the cookie jar, if you want to use the simple illustration. And then you ask your kid, you say, hey, Johnny, did you just fill in the blank with whatever that thing is? And they say, no. And you look at me like, Johnny, are you, are you sure that you didn't just eat that Laffy Taffy that was from Halloween three weeks ago? No. Well, Johnny, what is this wrapper on the floor? And then you know what's happening next if you've been a parent. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And then just say, they're broken in front of you, right? Because why? Because you've just embarrassed this three-year-old, you terrible parent, for embarrassing this three-year-old for eating the candy. And it's embarrassing to get caught in a lie. But you know what's really even more embarrassing, I believe? being dishonest about who you are as a person. Because oftentimes in our mind, we tell ourselves more lies personally than we ever tell anybody else around us. We often believe something about ourselves that we want to be true, but is not actually true. And what the Bible's telling us here, as he's saying, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. He's saying, hey guys, it's time to check yourselves and see, hey, where are you on this spectrum of preferring others better than yourself? Because here's what I believe. I believe that we've stopped preferring others better than ourselves because we have an inflated view of ourselves that God had never intended for us to have because we stopped being honest about who we are as people. God wants us to be honest, number one, about our position in Christ. The Bible says in Genesis that we are made in the image of God. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 7, that we're no longer a slave to God, but yet we are a son of God. And listen to me, my, my friend. Listen, listen, listen. 
many Christians never experience the joy that God wants to gift them because they never are honest about their position with Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation. And they live the moment of salvation, they live in celebratory freedom, but then the rest of their life they live in bondage to a system that has been set up for them. And they think that they are trying to uh, somehow attain favor with God and create joy in their life when God has said, stop doing that, be honest about your position. Listen, God knows everything, everything, everything about you. Everything that you would be so embarrassed if we were to find out today, God already knows. But yet you act like oftentimes you can come to God and say, God, I am the most holy and the most high. And so therefore, because I'm the most holy and the most high, you must bless me in my life and give me all the things that I've ever wanted. And the fact is you're dishonest about your position in Jesus Christ. Your position in Jesus Christ is not God, I do for you so that you do for me. No, your position in Jesus Christ is, God, you've done for me, so I have the privilege to be your son and your daughter, and I now live in that freedom because of what you've done for me. If you are my friend today thinking I'm going to do more, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to be better, I'm going to look better, I'm going to talk better, I'm going to read more scripture, I'm going to pray more. Why? So that I can have a better position with God. I want to help you this morning. Please hear me. You already have the best possible position with Jesus Christ. You are his child. And as a son like me, as I am a son to my father and my sons are, I am a father to my sons, I would never go to my sons and say, hey, your, my love for you depends upon your work for me. The same way your loving father does not look at you and say, hey, my love for you depends on your work for me. Be honest about your position as a child of God. Number two, though, be honest about your value in Christ. Be honest about your value in Christ. It's always awkward when we place unnecessary value on things, isn't it? Imagine with me this morning if I had a, a carat diamond. I had one carat of diamonds in this hand. Imagine me this morning, I said, hey, you know what? I just got this carat of diamond. got it on Black Friday. It was a great deal. And I were to tell you my great deal, my great deal, I got it for one dollar. Some of you be like, man, that's awesome. Some of you be like, that stinking store owner has no idea what he's doing. He's placed a value on this of one dollar, and it's, it's a carrot of diamonds. Now, listen, I bought Elena's ring five years ago. I have no idea what a carrot of diamond costs now. You can help me out. But I'm sure it's a lot more than a dollar for a carrot of diamonds, right? But listen, it would be just equally as awkward if I were to come to you this morning, say, I have a carrot of diamonds. Say, how much did that carrot of diamonds cost? And I say, it was $10 million for this carrot of diamonds. Now what have I done? Now I've gone to the other extreme, right? And I've, I've overvalued something that did not have a value of $10 million. But on the same end, sometimes I've undervalued something that was only worth a dollar. But I say, wait, it's worth way more than that. It's always awkward when we misplace value upon something. But it's even more awkward when you start to value yourself more than you ought to. See, I think oftentimes we go to two extremes. Some of us in this room this morning struggle with valuing ourselves enough. And we go on this extreme and we say we are, we use the word worthless to everyone. 
You know, God doesn't need anything that I do. How could I ever bring anything to him? And we forget that in Corinthians, Paul's trying to remind the church at Corinth. He says, look, no, no, no. You are bought with a price and ye are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, God paid the ultimate price so that you could have communion with him. Therefore, at that moment, you realize as a, as a Christian, you realize that you do have significant value in the eyes of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you realize that value and you're honest about your value, you stop becoming worthless to a lost and dying world and you start becoming very valuable to your creator, Jesus Christ. And that value that the creator has placed on you causes you to start living more in freedom and joy because you stop letting a lost and dying world suck your joy and you start realizing the joy that God's giving you by being bought with a price. But see, on the flip side, and see, this is where I think most of us land more often than not, unfortunately. On the flip side, I think we start to overvalue ourselves on a regular basis. We start to overvalue our opinions. And we start to overvalue our positions. We start to overvalue our roles that we play in people's lives. We, we start to overvalue the fact that we are just sinners, but God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans again says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. And listen, you are letting the devil suck your joy because you think of yourself too highly and more highly than God ever intended for you to think. See, if we could handle thinking high about ourselves, God would allow it. But the fact is, because we're sinners, we can't handle thinking good things about ourselves. We can't handle being puffed up in our pride. We can't handle thinking that we have some type of intrinsic value in this world because God is very clear that he is no respecter of persons and that he has created all men equally and that he loves all people the same. And so it doesn't matter how talented, it doesn't matter how smart, it doesn't matter how rich, it doesn't matter how powerful, it doesn't matter how many letters are behind your name. My friend, my brother and sister in Christ, if we're following the Bible this morning, we all have the same value in Jesus Christ. And when we're honest about ourselves, we stop thinking that we're worthless and losing our joy. We stop thinking that we're overvaluable and losing our joy because we're trying to attain something. And we rest easy in the joy of the fact that like, okay, I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. And we're just trying to do this thing together that God's called us to do. And practically, what does this look like in your life? You might say, okay, how in the world does this look practically? Number three, look at this real quick before we get to that. Number three, honestly, not only be honest about yourself, about your value, but honestly, be honest about your problems. See, Paul had his fair share of problems, and he told people regularly about them. In the first nine verses of Philippians chapter one, Paul's telling the people that he's in the middle of this place that he's struggling with. And he's saying, look, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus, but it's better for me to be here so that I can help you. In all of Paul's letters, we see the humility of Paul as he talks about the wretched man that he is and the sin that he deals with. Those of you that study church history, you know that Paul used to be somebody who murdered Christians before God miraculously transformed his life. You know that Paul used to be somebody who was a component and a proponent for a religious system that had nothing to do with the word of God. And yet God miraculously changed his life. So you know what? Paul 
the greatest pastor in human history up to this point in the Bible that's recorded for us in the Bible had a bunch of problems. And you know what he did? He was honest about his problems. He was honest about the fact that he was struggling in his soul, in his spirit, about who God created him to be, about his value. He was honest about the fact that he was hard enough to be in prison, but his heart wanted to be with the people. He was honest about the fact that he did not want anybody to feel sorry for him, but he needed somebody to bear, on, bear the burden with him. He was honest about the fact that his problems were different than the people that he was writing to, but he still wanted them to pray for them. And look, in order for us to be honest with ourselves and honest with God, we must be honest about our problems. And when you're not honest about your problems, what you're doing is you're literally preferring yourself over other people. You say, how is that? Because God created all of us to need each other. In fact, we've read that verse a few times already. In honor, in love, preferring one another. There's another one another in there that says we are to bear one another's burdens. So let me ask you a question. How can the church bear your burdens if you're always acting like everything's fine? How can we be honest with, if we can't even be honest with the people that are in this room that we're going to spend eternity with about the things that we're dealing with, how can we expect to be honest with God about who we truly are? If we can't be honest with somebody out of fear of being judged or fear of thinking something about our family or fear of thinking somebody, something about our walk with God, then not only is the person you're telling have a problem, but also the, you yourself has a problem because you haven't allowed God to bear the burdens with each other. And we must be people that are honest with each other about our problems. Because can I just tell you a secret this morning? We all have them. All of us. And if we're going to be people that are bearing each other's burdens, and we're going to be people who are preferring each other, then there ought never be a brother or sister in this church that you can't go to and say, hey, I need some prayer. Why? Because I messed up this week. Royally messed up. I don't feel anything from God right now. I'm depleted. I'm weak. And I need you. That's supposed to be the spirit of the church. That's supposed to be the honesty that we have with each other. And so, so, so what does this look like practically? I mean, let me show you. What does it look like practically? So look, so, so when you start thinking in your everyday life things like this, maybe in your walk with God, because you're not honest about your position in Christ, you start thinking things like, God never answers my prayers. God isn't working in my situation. God never does what, what I need him to do. God just must not understand what I'm going through and what has happened to me in my past. God must not feel the brokenness that I bring to this place. If that's been your heart, then I, I would encourage you, my friend, my brother or sister, start to get honest about your position in Christ and the fact that he's a loving father and, and he knows all of these things that are happening. Sometimes if you're overvaluing or undervaluing yourself, you start to think things like this. Maybe if you're overvaluing yourself, you say things like, I just don't know how this family would make it without me. All the work that I have put in, all of the hours that I have worked, all of the monies that I've brought home, I do not think this family would make it without me. Oh, I just can't believe that that ministry at church would ever go on without me because I have just worked so hard to get it to where it is. 
I just start to think about things like, man, if my husband has not, would not, do not, does not listen to me when I tell him he needs to play with those kids, he's never going to be with a good father. If my wife doesn't listen to me when I tell her that she needs to stop doing those things that she's doing, she's never going to be a good wife. Here's what you're doing. You're overvaluing yourself when you start thinking things like that. Because guess what? All this stuff will go on without any of us here. God will continue to work if all of us fall off the face of the planet tomorrow. And when you overvalue yourself, you suck the joy out of your life because you place a value on yourself that God never intended for you to carry. But oftentimes we also do this too. We say, man, nobody cares about me. You know what? I bet you if I never showed up to this place again that nobody would even know. You know, if I just stopped loving those friends that God's placed in my life, they probably wouldn't even care. I'm just completely worthless. My friend, you're being honest, dishonest with yourself about the value that you have. You have undervalued what God has done in your life and the gifts that God has given you to use for his service. And he does not see you that way at all. He sees you as a father who loves you and cares for you and wants to be the cheerleader that pushes you forward to grow on your journey with Jesus Christ. Both ditches are dangerous. So what do we do? We must be honest about our value that all men are created equal. Maybe if you're not honest with your problems, you say things like this to yourself. Everything's fine. I've got it. I'm glad I don't have to deal with those people are dealing with. Well, at least it's not as bad as. Here's what you've done. You have, you have taken the problems that, that God has providentially given you and you've buried them instead of being honest with them and growing from them. And so you live this life stifled instead of living this life growing. And all of those areas are areas where you are getting the joy sucked out of your life because you're not being honest about who you are in Jesus Christ. And you've stopped preferring others and you've started to prefer yourself above everything. And you've done what Paul is warning the people not to do and you've stopped thinking of yourself as lowly and humble, but you've started to think of yourself as somebody who's got it all together. And Paul's telling the church of Philippi, and I believe he's telling us here today, you must be honest about where you're at. Because if, you if you're not honest about where you're at, let me tell you something, because I've experienced it. Listen, my life's not long, but God's worked on my life. I'm thankful for that. And if you don't humble yourself and be honest about who you are, God will. And seasoned Satan in the room this morning, I'm sure you can tell me plenty of stories about how God has taken your life and God has molded your life and God has worked in your life in ways that you never planned, but you know what it's done? It's allowed you to be the person that you are today. And young person this morning, I'm telling you, if you're not honest with yourself now about who you are in Christ, about your problems that you have and about the people around you and about your value in all of their lives, you're going to get to a spot in your life where you are just completely stale and stagnant and all the joy is just completely gone because you've never said, okay, I need to stop preferring me 
my way and what I want. And I need to say, okay, God, you've placed these people into my life to help me. Now, what are they going to help me with? God's placed you in that marriage, in that place of work, in that family, not so that you can be the Scrooge this Christmas, but that you can be the joy giver because you are having the joy that you received given to you because you're taking it back by being honest about yourself. Number three, receive the joy of Christ by being honest with yourself. Receive the joy of Christ by making God happy. Number three this morning, look at this. Receive the joy of Christ by taking on the mind of Christ. Now listen, the Bible never leaves us hopeless, amen? The Bible never leaves us at a place where we have no solution for the future. Now here's the solution that Paul gives. He says, take on the mind of Christ. In verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but listen, made himself of no reputation. We've struggled with this from the beginning of time. Do you know why Adam sinned? Let's think all the way back to Genesis chapter number one. I'm going to pull a call in on you this morning and go back to Genesis. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis one, what happens in Genesis one, two, and three? The world is created, the garden is given to the people, and then in Genesis chapter three, we see the temptation of Adam and Eve. And what did Adam and Eve get tempted with? The fact that they could be like God. See, from the very beginning of time, we've always struggled with this. We have wanted to make ourselves a reputation. We have wanted to make ourselves a name for ourselves. We have wanted to be somebody. But what Christ came on the scene and showed us was that all of that is not what this life is about. This life is not about who we are when we die. This life is not about how much money we put in the bank. This life is not about how many people know our name. But this life is all about taking on the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was this. I make no reputation for myself, but I take on the form of a servant. Now listen, who said that? Who said it? Jesus said that. If you believe Jesus is God, say amen. So Jesus, the God of heaven... The one who literally we look at in Revelation as going to be sitting on the throne next to God the Father. The one who literally on the cross said that he could have called 10,000s upon 10,000s of angels and wiped everything out. The same God who was the God of Noah, a God of Abraham, God of Joseph, God of Moses. The same God who said Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus that was born in the stable, that was born in Bethlehem, that came and died for your sins. Is the same God that said, I don't want to make a reputation for myself. In fact, so much so that he proved it to us in his life by living as a vagabond. He never had a home. By living with very little friends, he never had many good relationships. By living with people talking about him all the time in negative ways, by lying about him, by falsely accusing him, by completely treating him unjustly, and yet he knew in the back of his mind that he had all power to take care of it. But what did he say in Philippians through Paul that when he came he made himself of no reputation. And he took the form of a bondservant. 
Now, in this day, that would have been a very easy language for these people to understand. A bondservant would have been somebody who would have come into the house. They would have followed the folks that lived in the house if they were of the upper echelons of society. And they would have swept the floors and they would have washed the feet and they would have prepared the meals and they would have lived in this home and they would have served continuously day in and day out. Now, listen, once you were a bondservant in this time, you were always a bondservant. It's not like we live today where maybe you start off scrubbing floors at a business, but one day you may be that CEO. You know, one day you might own your own business. No, no, no. Once you were a bondservant in these days, you were always a bondservant. So as Christ was saying here, he's saying, look, I came to serve and I came to be a servant and I always will be a servant on this earth. And he said, I'm going to serve others. I'm going to set the example. And what he did was he continually served others. At 12 years old, he served the priests of the temple. As he grew and he became older, he served the Christians of that day by being baptized in the Jordan River. You say he was serving them? Yes, he was serving them by proving to him, to them, that he was the Messiah. He was serving those people. Do you think he had to be baptized? Now imagine it. Think about it with me, honestly. He's God. And he allowed himself to be baptized so that people seeing him would be like, oh yeah, that's God. He, he, he served because he showed the disciples that, hey, disciples, you know, we're going to go from town to town to town to town, and we're going to live very uncomfortable lives in very uncomfortable places. And you know what? There's going to be times when we're in front of 5,000 people, and we're supposed to feed them, and we have no idea how. And there's going to be times when I'm going to take you out to Galilee, and the storm is going to be more than you can imagine. And you know what, disciples? There's going to be times when I come to the end of my life, And I'm going to show you what a servant looks like as I wash your feet. There's going to be times when I go and I talk one-on-one with the Samaritan woman at a well. There's going to be times when I walk with people and talk with them. There's going to be times when I raise a friend from the dead. There's going to be times when I teach Mary and Martha a lesson. And you know what he was doing through all that church? He was not making a reputation for himself. He was serving people. And here's what I believe. And I believe I can prove it through this passage, and I think we have this morning. Some of you have the joy sucked out of your life because you have stopped focusing on how you can serve other people, and you have started to focus more on how other people can serve you. And you have stopped thinking about how I can give to help other people, and you say, I hope somebody gives so that they can help me. And the mind of Christ is not a mind that says, me, 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 I'm first. A friend of mine used to sing a little song, and it was always about me, me, me. And when we think me, 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 instead of others, 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 the joy is immediately sucked out of our life. But when you start coming into your marriage, husband, and you start thinking every single morning, okay, how can I serve this gift of God, every single day. What does she need? Where does she need to grow? How can I help her? How can I love her better? How can I find out more about her? And moms, you just look at those kids every single day and you say, how can I help those kids? How can I serve those kids? How can I make those kids better? How can I help them grow in their relationship with Christ? Yeah, I know I'm tired. I know I'm down. I know I'm depleted. I know I haven't even been able to have five minutes to myself today. But you know what? My life's not about my reputation, but it's about serving others. In your work, it's not about how you can get that promotion and you're going to step on everybody on the way up. But no, how can you serve the people that God has placed in your life in that workplace? How can you 
go in there and be a joy giver and a peacemaker? How can you go on there and take the mind of Christ and walk into that job that God has provided for you? You might hate it and that's okay, but God's provided it for you so that you can be a joy giver and that you can be a servant to the people that are there in your church. You come to this place and you say, how can I serve? Where can I get plugged in? Who needs help? How can I make this place better? Who can I tell about Jesus this week? Why? Because this is not about my reputation. I'm taking on the form of a servant. Why? Because that's the only way that I find the joy that God wants for my life. And when you start to change all of those thinkings from me, me, me to others, 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 all the things around you become simple, easy, and calm because you have this joy in your life. And then in turn, what happens is exactly what happens here in this passage. He took on the form of servant. And then in verse number nine, he says this, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth. Now listen, this is not a verse for us to go and use as like, you know what, look, someday all of us are going to have to bow before God. No, that's not the intent of this verse whatsoever. The intent of this verse is to show the church at Philippi, if you will simply receive what God has given you, God will put you where he wants you to be. And for Jesus, it was that he wanted to exalt him above everybody else. And so what did he do? He came, he took on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men, made no reputation, and God exalted him. And my friend, he will do the same thing for you. He will say, okay, you're going to serve others. You're going to be honest about yourself. You're going to get unified with God and the people around you. Okay, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start giving you the joy because I'm going to give it to you liberally among all men because now you're now receiving the joy that God has given to you and he's going to give you a place that you would never imagine otherwise but see here's often what happens we take the gift that god has given us let's just imagine for a second this is the joy that we're all supposed to receive okay for a second this is the joy that we're all supposed to receive and at that moment of salvation we say god thank you so much you've you've given me the gift thank you so much god i appreciate the gift of joy that the lord god has given me and then day two wakes up and you're still kind of holding on to the joy and you're going about your daily life and you might even tell a few people, God saved me. I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. I now have a walk with God. But here's where most of us live over time. What we do is we know we have the gift that God has given us and we're like the kid on Christmas who sets it down and gets distracted with all the other things that are going on on Christmas day and the day after, the meal, the games, the movies, the music, the family, we get distracted with everything else and we allow everything else that's distracting us to suck the joy out of our life. And what God is calling us to do in Philippians is he's calling us to take back the joy that he wants to give us and he calls us to start opening the gift that he promised to us. And when we open the gift that he promised to us, we take off all of the wrapping. We don't open it a little bit and be like, okay, good, there's some joy there. I'm, I'm glad, I'm gonna go now be distracted. Sometimes we go back to it and be like, man, I've had a tough day. Oh yeah, I got, I got joy, I got joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
But no, what we do is we say, we take that package and we start saying things like this. We start saying things, church, like this Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter two, listen to me this morning. We start saying things like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna start being unified and I'm gonna start stopping being disunified. I'm gonna stop having a broken relationship and I'm gonna restore it. I'm going to stop getting upset about things that I can't control and I'm gonna let those things set aside. Why? Because I wanna be unified with God. I'm gonna stop saying I am okay and I'm gonna start being honest about my sin. Why? Because I wanna be unified with God. I'm gonna get honest about myself and stop under and overvaluating myself and I'm gonna rip that off and I'm gonna lay it at Jesus' feet. Why? Because I want the joy that God has given me. And you start saying, okay, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna find a place to serve. I'm gonna find people to serve. I'm gonna find a time to serve. And all of this comes off and you now have the joy completely unwrapped because you've gotten rid of all the things and all the times and all the people and all the distractions that God never intended for you to clutter your life up with. And you begin to have the joy that he's always promised you. And in this Christmas season, here's what I believe, church. I believe that we can make a difference here in this community. I believe that we can make a difference during this transitional time in our church. I believe that we can make a difference in the marriages and the families that are represented here this morning. I believe that we can make a difference in our workplace. But here's what it's going to take. It's going to take us ripping apart all the things that are messing us all up and getting to the gift that God has already given us, the joy that he wants for each one of our lives. And so I don't know what the decision is for you this morning. I really don't. I don't even know if this is a help to anybody this morning. I truly mean that. But this is what God's given me over the last several weeks. This is what God has given me to be able to go back to as an anchor over and over again to say, Lord, you've given me the joy. It's up to me to receive it. And if I receive it, I know you're going to take care of everything else. And that same thing is true for you this morning, my friend. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we come a broken people this morning. We come knowing that it's not us, it's you. We come knowing that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, but yet it still speaks to us today. I'm not going to belabor it, but I believe in the room this morning there may be a person, maybe somebody watching online that doesn't know for sure they're going to heaven and you've never been unified with God. And today I want you to be honest about your sin and I want you to say to yourself, I need to get unified with God. My friend, let me tell you, he makes it very easy. He loves you. He wants you to be his child. And if you'll say a simple prayer like this one, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I'm separated from you forever. And Lord, in the best way I know how, I come to you today asking you to be my Savior and my Lord and my God. Help me, Lord, to have a home in heaven when I die and help me to live for you on this earth until that time comes. Say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Help me to live for you. If that would be your heart today, you can say a simple prayer like that one. You can be unified with God. Dear brother or sister in the room this morning, I don't know, but maybe something spoke to you in your life. Maybe the devil is robbing you of joy because of the fact that you're disunified with a spouse, with a brother or sister, with a coworker, with the boss. 
Maybe the devil's been sucking your joy because you are placing value where you ought not. Maybe the devil's sucking your joy because you've not been honest about your position with Christ. The fact that you're a son and daughter of the King of Kings. Maybe you're getting your joy sucked out because you are completely and totally being dishonest with everybody about the problems that you know you need to get right. Maybe you have no joy because you've stopped serving other people and you've begun to let other people just serve you. And I don't know where everybody lands this morning, but I just want to give you a moment to make the decisions you need to with God. Can we stand to our feet? All together around the room this morning. I'm going to pray that God would do what he wants to do this morning. And then I, I ask you this. If you want to make a decision, you can use your seat. If you want to come to an old-fashioned altar and make a decision and talk to the Lord this morning, that altar is open for you as well. Lord, help us to do the business with you that we need to do. Help us to be a people who have the joy of the Lord in our life. Use us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's make the decisions we need to make this morning. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.